Well, good morning. It's good to see you all here on campus. Uh, thank you for being with us. For those of you that are not with us in your home, like Lori said, we do miss you guys so very much. But also hear us saying, we want you to feel as comfortable as you need to be as a family to come when it's your time to come and you're ready to come and feel comfortable being here. We're doing everything we can here on campus uh, to follow any kind of guidelines and to clean as much as we possibly can and be safe as we can. But we just, uh, we'll look forward to the day that we can all be back together. And you know, we're all kind of weary of this whole thing. <laughs> I know I am. But these are the moments where the rubber meets the road. This is a refining fire process that Jesus is doing in the church. And so let us dig down deep into who we are in him and endure this moment and come out of it better, closer to Jesus. That's our prayer, amen? So glad you're with us. If you're new to us, thanks for joining us, being here with us. Even if you're watching and you're new to us, we appreciate it. We've been in a series called Acts, the story of the church. This is our fourth summer in the book of Acts. Uh, we started back this summer in chapter 18, and, and some of the things we've seen are that Paul has been in Corinth. He was been, he's been in Corinth for a year and a half. He's connected with this couple uh, who has the same trade as him. They're, they're tent makers. They work in leather. That's Aquila and Priscilla. And they've become very good friends, uh, such good friends that when Paul leaves Corinth and is ready to make his way back to Jerusalem and ultimately back to Antioch in Syria, uh, Aquila and Priscilla go with him, at least to Ephesus. So they get to Ephesus, and when they get to Ephesus, Paul stays for a little bit, and then he gets on the boat and heads towards Jerusalem. Aquila and Priscilla stay put there in Ephesus. Of course, we know Paul makes his way all the way to Jerusalem church and, and honors those brothers in that church, tells the story of what God had been doing on this second missionary journey. And then he heads back kind of home, if you will, uh, to Antioch, where he had spent uh, over a year pastoring and, and discipling people there. And so he was there for a while in, in, in a resting period before he uh, hits the road again for his third missionary journey. Um, so what's interesting about this is Paul goes into the, uh, the synagogue in Ephesus, which is his normal thing to do, is he would go into different towns and different cities. He would find the synagogue and he would find the Jews, Jewish people, and he would uh, start talking about the Messiah. Every week they would read about the Messiah. Sometimes every day they would study and they would talk about Messiah. And Paul would come in and say, I know him. <laughs> I know him, right? His name is Jesus and you need to believe in him. So Paul goes into the synagogue in Ephesus uh, and they want him to stay, but Paul says, I gotta move on. Uh, what's interesting is he says, if it's God's will, I'll come back. And for those of us who know about the third missionary journey, we know that he does come back to Ephesus and he makes Ephesus his home base uh, for the third missionary journey. Uh, but there's an interesting little story it's tucked sort of in the middle of this section. And it's uh, what we're going to read today. Five verses in Acts. Acts 18, 24 through 28 if you have your Bibles. Verse 24 says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents 
in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Can we pray this morning as we get into God's word? Father, thank you so much for today. God, thank you that you've allowed us to be together. Um, Thank you for the technology that we can share what we're doing here on this campus with those who are watching from home on Facebook, on our website, different places. Uh, That is a blessing, God, and we thank you for that. Lord, thank you for your word and that it teaches us and informs us of who you want us to be in you. And God, my prayer this morning is that by the Holy Spirit of the living God, you would lead us to all truth. Help us to understand what you want to speak today through your word in this text and prepare our hearts to receive it, be obedient to it, and act upon it. Lord, I pray with all of my heart that I would decrease in this time and that you would increase. God, that you would be lifted high in this time and that we would learn of you, Jesus. Thank you for our family. Thank you for uh, trials. Thank you for difficulty. I pray that it anchors our faith deeply in who we are in you and who you want us to be to this world representing you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, the thing I love, I've told you this before, I love the book of Acts. And one of the things I love about the book of Acts is it, it just reads so exciting. It's a great story. It, it, it's almost like a movie. And, and today is no exception. It, it reads sort of like a, a scene from a movie. I, I don't know if it's, I think about, they do this in the uh, Indian Jones films quite a bit. But there's this little device. It's a little um, uh, literary device called a pericope. And what it is, is basically what they've done is they've said, hey, Paul is over here. He went back to Jerusalem. He's going back to Antioch. But meanwhile, over in Ephesus, you know, it's like you're just, you're following two stories. And what's interesting is Luke is saying, this is important enough over here in Ephesus that I keep you updated with what's going on. It's going to make sense later. Paul's over here, but I want to to make sure that you're knowing what's going on over here as well with this couple that I've introduced you to. Aquila and Priscilla, and now this new character. Our text this morning is almost exclusively about this character by the name of Apollos. What an interesting, interesting guy, right? Um, uh, Three things I want to show you today. I want to show you the introduction of Apollos. I want to show you the correction of Apollos. And then I want to show you the ministry of Apollos. All very important. And he's an amazing man of God. So we're introduced to Apollos. It says in the text he's a Jew. But what's interesting is he has a pagan name. His name is, is Apollos, but his full name would be something like uh, uh, Apollonius. It literally means follower of Apollo, but he's a Jew. So already we're confused, right, with this guy. He's just an enigma, this interesting person. So Apollos is from Alexandria, which is in Egypt. Uh, this place is a flourishing community of Jews. In fact, about a third of the people who live in Alexandria were Jews. Most likely, when, when I think this is interesting, when Mary and Joseph fled from Bethlehem, remember with Jesus, the Herod had said we're gonna, he's going to kill every baby boy from two years old and younger. And Mary and Joseph, the Holy Spirit tells them that, and they flee to Egypt. Most likely, they went to Alexandria because of this large Jewish uh, community that was there in Alexandria. Alexandria is known for education. It's as if you would consider it like a college town. A lot of religious scholars are from this area. People you may have heard their names uh, before, like Clement and Athanasius and Origen are all from uh, this area. It had uh, the world's largest library in Alexandria. And just think about the ancient world. Even say that the ancient world had a library is like pretty impressive. This library had 700,000 volumes. 
Isn't that incredible? 700,000 volumes. So education and learning was very important to this community, the society. In fact, this was the place where they had translated the Old Testament into Greek 200 years before Jesus was born. This is just a very interesting place, and uh, you can just imagine the things that he's learning, Apollos, who he's learning from, who he's sitting under, what makes him who he is. Uh, He has a very impressive resume of his own. It says in the scripture that he's learned, which means he's educated. He has a thorough knowledge of scripture, as a Jew, I'm sure. He's been instructed in the way of the Lord. Now, the the church was called the way in the first century, so he's been instructed in, in parts of the way of the Lord. He had great fervor, so he wasn't just intelligent. He had this personality that was magnetic. You know, he was just incredible, outgoing, great fervor. He taught about Jesus accurately. He spoke boldly in the synagogue. Uh, At the end of the text, it says he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents, proving from scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. This guy was incredible. He was an incredible guy. He's brilliant, educated, uh, engaging teacher of Jesus, but he's a Jew with a pagan name, But not just a Jew, he's a Messianic Jew with a pagan name. And he knows the way of the Lord and teaches Jesus accurately. However, he only knows the baptism of John. Now, we're going to get into why that's kind of faulty. To only know the baptism of John and not know Jesus, a message of baptism for Christians, for the church, is a little faulty. In fact, that's exactly what happens is he's teaching and Aquila and Priscilla hear his teaching in the synagogue and they go, look at each other and go, this guy's good. <laughs> He's good, but he doesn't have all the information. We're going to get into that in just a minute. So uh, remind you of John the Baptist. Remember this guy? Crazy character, camel hair, coat. He eats bugs, lives in the desert. Strange fellow, right? But he had a fiery message. And his message was repent and be baptized, Right? Repent and be baptized. And when Jesus came along, he points to Jesus and he says, this is the one, this is the one who will take away the sins of the world. He was the forerunner of Jesus prophesied in the Old Testament. So he's saying, this is the one who takes away the sins of the world, but he doesn't really explain how Jesus is gonna do that. (laughs) This is the one, but John's baptism was faulty in the sense that he didn't preach Jesus' death resurrection, and great commission. So when Apollos is preaching from John's baptism, he's preaching an incomplete message. He may be preaching uh, the, the good news. He may be preaching the stories that Jesus told, the lessons of Jesus' life. But of course, we know that the gospel is so much more. And you can see how faulty this could have been. So uh, they invite him to their home. Uh, and he comes to their home. And they have this conversation. They start talking. Um, You can imagine the problems that go with sort of not knowing about uh, being a good teacher of Jesus, yet not knowing the death, resurrection of Jesus, right? A little faulty. So they, they, they do what they've done with Paul, which is love him. This is what I think it's so interesting about this couple. They connect to Apollos in the same way they did to Paul. They bring him into their home. Same thing they did with Paul. They're going to eat a meal together. They're going to spend relational time together. They're going to build relationships with one another. And it's in that place of authenticity and connection and relationship that they speak truth to him. Now, what's interesting, I mentioned this last week sort of as a teaser, and that is Aquila and Priscilla had to have enough biblical knowledge 
and biblical confidence in who they were in Christ to be able to say, hey, Apollos, that's not right, right? So that speaks something to us as the church. Do we have enough biblical knowledge to go, that's not, that's not quite right. I need you to because I may say things that are wrong. Somebody that preaches may say something that's not quite right. We need to be able to go, not sure about, you know, we need to be able to have those conversations uh, when, we, when something like that happens. Let's break this down just for a minute. I think this is such an incredible moment and it teaches us uh, a powerful lesson as the church today. Now, he would have been, Apollos, would have been much more educated than Aquila and Priscilla. Can you imagine how intimidating? Sitting in, in the synagogue and they're like, no, it's not right. But intimidated because here he's from this amazing educating town with the biggest library. He's read so much. He's done so much. He's a powerful speaker. How are we going to rebuke him or, 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 or talk to him or challenge him? You can imagine how difficult that would have been. It would have taken guts, right? It would have taken strength and it would have taken a biblical understanding to know what's right and what's wrong. On the other hand, Apollos coming to their home, being willing to sit down with them and go, yeah, tell me, what, what did you hear? What did you think? What, there, what, what is he showing? Humility, right? He's saying, yeah, I absolutely could be wrong. Yeah, and I hear what you're saying, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about Paul. I didn't know that Jesus had died and raised from the ground. I didn't know these things. All those things make sense because I know the Old Testament prophecies. Oh, this is all making sense. And so he had humility not only to hear their rebuke and their correction, but to learn from it and to change his message. To change his message to be one that is biblically correct. I just think this is incredible. It took guts on Aquila and Priscilla's part. It took humility on Apollos' part, to change, to listen. And what's, what's interesting is, in this, what could have been a difficult conversa- conversation, could have hurt a relationship, it didn't. It made it stronger. That's what relationships do, right? In the family of families that we are, sometimes we have to have hard conversations. They shouldn't make us weaker, they should make us stronger. They shouldn't make us love each other less, they should make us love each other more because we have the guts to share something that we, that we need to share, and we have the humility to hear it. May that be true of South City Church. That's our, that's our prayer. Uh, by the way, can I just, this is a little tad footnote here. This is the way you correct a pastor. This is the way you correct a leader in the church. It's not done in a business meeting. It's not done where everybody can hear. It's not done in a phone campaign. It's not, that's, those are evil and of the devil. This is the way you do it, in your home, relationally, quietly, privately, where you can have a real conversation and come to reason with one another. That's the way you do it. You know, I want to tell a little bit about, more about Apollos. He was brilliant. In fact, he was so brilliant that Martin Luther thought Apollos was the one who wrote Hebrews. Now, Hebrews, we don't have a signature of any writer, so we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some people think it was Paul, but Martin Luther, who was not too shabby himself, right, as a theologian, thought that Apollos was definitely the writer of Hebrews. Whether he was or not, I don't know, but it at least shows us what Martin Luther thought of this man, Apollos. He was brilliant. He was brilliant. So what's so different about John's baptism and the message of Jesus' baptism? What's, what makes, what's the difference? Well, in the Great Commission of Jesus, we even mentioned this last week, He says, go into all the world, make disciples. 
And then what? Baptize them. How? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, that hadn't been taking place in John's baptism. Why? Because there hadn't been a crucifixion. There hadn't been a resurrection. And there hadn't been a commission. Jesus is saying, now every Christian who chooses to follow me needs to be baptized in my name. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, put my name on them. And realize that when you stand in that water, it is a beautiful, beautiful illustration of the narrative of the gospel of Jesus. You stand alive in this water, right? And someone lowers you into death. So the kids are like, into what? Excuse me? <laughs> they lower you into this illustration of death where you're saying, I'm dying to myself. I don't matter anymore. I'm dying to myself and I go back into the water of an illustration of death. And we come out of that death alive, but not because of what we've done, alive in Christ, right? Alive in Christ to walk in the newness of life, Paul says in Romans 6, 4. This is, this is a beautiful illustration, just this little pool of water. And we take, you know, kids play I don't know, all summer before my kids were baptized. We had mock baptisms. I don't know how many times in the pool, right? Dad, baptize me. Of course, and I was, it was kind of like WWE baptism. But uh, it was fun, right? Without the meaning, without the understanding, but there's so much meaning. There's so much illustration. There's so much narrative, even in a baptism, that we show the gospel of Jesus in the narrative of the cross. And that when we're baptized, we're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Paulus didn't know this. The thing about John's baptism, he says, repent and be baptized, right? Two things that we do. But for those of us that know Jesus, we know that salvation is not about what we do. Yes, we repent. Yes, we come to the Lord. But Jesus does the work. He's done the finished work of grace on the cross. There's a big difference in John's baptism and what Jesus says to be and to do in a Christian baptism. So you can see, you can see the important difference of the two and why Apollos needed to understand that. So we get, we get down into our text a little bit further. It seems like some time has elapsed. It seems like some relationships have been built. And I, I love this verse. Look with me, verse 27, chapter 18. It says, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters, who are they? encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. Who are the brothers and sisters? If it was just uh, Aquila and Priscilla, it would have said Aquila and Priscilla. There's more people. What does that mean? That means that the church is growing. Paul is over here doing missionary work, but now we see Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos doing the work of mission, doing the work of church planning, doing the work of discipleship, and now we see the evidence of a church in Ephesus, isn't that beautiful? By the way, that's exactly what Paul wanted to see. This is, he wanted to establish believers. He wanted people to, be, to rise up and disciple other people. He wants the church to grow. It is the commission of Jesus, and that's what we see happening in, uh, in Ephesus. So I want to talk to you lastly about the ministry of Apollos. This guy, like we've already talked about how impressive he is. Um, and when Paul left Ephesus, there was no church. 
And now we see here in verse 27, there is a church. So God's doing a work through Apollos, through Aquila and Priscilla. There's some time that has elapsed, some relationships that have taken place. And in that time, Apollos has had some conversations with Aquila and Priscilla. They become close, good friends. And you can imagine, just like we share our stories, Aquila and Priscilla go, man, I wish you could have seen what God did in Corinth. You wouldn't believe what God did in Corinth. And Apollos is like, tell me, come on. Oh my gosh, well, Paul was ministering. Uh, he was there for like a year and a half. All these believers were, were coming to know Jesus and being baptized. The guy who lived next to the synagogue, we met in his house. So there were all these Jews coming to know Christ. In fact, the leader of the synagogue comes to know Christ. And then this other guy who was a leader of the synagogue brought Paul before this governor to try and squash the whole thing. And instead, the crowd turns on him and beats him up. But that's not the end. God in his grace saves that man named Sosthenes, and now he's our brother. And Apollos is like, I gotta go check this place out. It's an incredibly important seaport. All this trade, all this uh, activity, all these different cultures are just like whetting the appetite of this evangelist. Why I gotta go over there. I gotta do that. He senses God is saying, move over there. So that's what they do. The brothers and sisters encourage him. They only encourage him, they write to the disciples in Corinth, there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. In other words, he's discipling people who were saved. When we come to know Christ, that's not the end of the show, folks. We come to know Christ and then we just go deeper and deeper and deeper into knowing who he is. And so this is now Paulus ministering to people, many who, who maybe Paul won to the Lord. We don't know. And then verse 28, for he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So Apollos leaves Ephesus by the recommendation of the church there. He starts discipling people. He starts having these debates because he's a gifted uh, debater in, in the synagogue. Seeing Jews come to Christ, it's, it's incredible. The, I just, I get, I, I get chills thinking about the fact that now Apollos, who doesn't even know Paul at this point, is now coming to fill the shoes of Paul. He's coming to take up the slack where this emptiness, a void, you can imagine, is left, right? When Paul leaves after a year and a half of growing this church, and he takes with him the leading couple in the church. Just, can you think of it in that way? And, you, and the church goes, oh, you gotta be kidding me. At least that's how we would do it. <laughs> I don't sense that's what they do. I don't, I don't sense that. It's, it's this incredible ability to uh, push people out of the nest to do the mission of God. In fact, when I was reading this, I, I looked at the church in Ephesus, which had been literally started by Aquila and Priscilla and, and Apollos. And now they're going, hey, you want to go to Corinth? Great. Hey, we'll write you a recommendation. I mean, can you imagine how small this little church would have been? Was it six people? Is it eight people? Is it 20? It's small. And to lose their main teacher and to not be frustrated by that? Maybe they were. What it shows me is that we need to be, number one, willing to go more often. More of us need to be praying this prayer every day. God, would you send me somewhere? Where would you send me? 
And the rest of us need to be going, how can we help? How can we send you? You know, it's hard as a, as a church planter, as a pastor. We prayed for Jonathan and Susanna a couple of weeks ago. <sighs> I know I'm supposed to do that, right? We're supposed to do that. But I didn't want to. I don't want them to go. And this has been very convicting. This, this right here is like, wow. They not only sent uh, just some member of the church, they sent the teacher, the lead teacher, very gifted person. And they recommended him and they celebrated the mission and work of God. And I think that ought to speak something to our mission as well. Uh, some theologians believe that there are as many as 450 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. 450. So this is what Apollos is doing in the synagogue. He's going back to those uh, messianic prophecies and saying, this all lines up with the life, death, burial of Jesus. This all lines up. In fact, there's John the Baptist. He's in there too. And he's proving the point that these prophecies are correct. Jesus said the same thing. Look at John 5, 39 when he said, to the, disciples, or to the Pharisees there, he said, you study the scriptures diligently, speaking of the Old Testament, because you think in them you have eternal life. But he says, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Then we move over to Luke 24, where Jesus, we see a resurrected Jesus speaking to disciples. And as he's speaking to the disciples, he's trying to say to them, all these writers have been telling you about me. All these prophecies. Did you know? In fact, he says, Luke 24, verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Don't you wish you were in that room that day? And then there's a little story. I love the story of the road to Emmaus where Jesus walks along with a couple of disciples who don't recognize him as Jesus at first and he says to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Now that he's recognized, they're recognizing him as, as Savior. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus is saying, yeah, there's 450 at least. <laughs> and it's all about me. And you still didn't recognize me when I came. These are the very scriptures that Apollos is going to take to the synagogue and say, let me tell you about the Messiah that you don't know, but his name is Jesus. Gifted teacher, gifted debater, and he's there to pastor and shepherd this church in Corinth. The problem here is in his gifting <laughs> is some people start going, ooh, he's really good. In fact, I think he's better than Paul. I can't believe I said that. Paul is really good. I, th I think he may be even better than Paul. And somebody goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're talking about Paul, right? Saul, then change the name Paul. No, no, no way. And then this debate begins to take place. Who's better? Who's more important? Who's more powerful? Can I just tell you, anytime we get into that mode, it's evil and it's wrong. And it begins to tear up the church. It does. There's not one ministry position that is uh, greater than another. When God calls people to ministry, we are all called to build upon the foundation of who Jesus is. That's what we're called to. So Paul, 
he, he writes, part of uh, writing the letter of uh, 1 Corinthians is to squash some of this weird competition people are trying to have with Apollos and Paul. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, as he speaks to it. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, still another, I follow Christ. Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. And then somebody says, no, don't you remember that other family? He goes, okay, yes. I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So Paul is writing, part of the reason he's writing the, the letter back to the church in Corinth is to squash this division and this competition thing that's going on. Notice also, I think is interesting, the very last piece of that Paul says, that I preach but not with wisdom and eloquence. I, I think that's a direct reference to Apollos. What Paul is saying is, maybe I don't use those same fancy words. Maybe I don't have some of that same education, though Paul had a pretty impressive resume of his own. Maybe we're different, we have a different style, a different technique. But one thing you need to know is Paul was not uh, concerned. He was not jealous of Apollos, he wasn't worried. He just didn't want division in the church. So he continues sort of teaching and continues this rebuke throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. Look at chapter three, verse three. He says this to them, pulling no punches here. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Paul says in verse six, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God is the one who matters here. He's the one who's been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have a purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers, co-laborers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. Paul's not jealous of Apollos. He's not concerned about losing his, his street cred in, in Corinth, right? He's not concerned about that. He wants people to grow deeper in their discipleship with Jesus, and Apollos is helping them get there. But when, when people are lifted higher than the thing that matters most, which is the gospel, you're going to have trouble in the church. You're going to have division. In fact, Paul loved Apollos. Later in the book of 1 Corinthians, they're together. 
And Paul is encouraging Apollos to go back to Corinth. Chapter 16, verse 12, Paul says, Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now. But he will go when he has the opportunity. You know, I love story. I love the idea that that Apollos is like, I'm not going, Paul. If they're going to divide us, if they're going to try and put us against each other, I'm not going back. And Paul says, they need you, brother. They need your wisdom. They need your ability to teach. They need you in the synagogue. They need you pastoring that church. And what's so cool is Christian history tells us that after Paul writes this book and gives this instruction and this rebuke to the church, Apollos goes back to the church of Corinth to pastor and shepherd that body. It's beautiful. So so what about these five verses for us here at South City? So what? You know, the thing about God's word is interesting. Many times it is, we've talked about this, it's prescriptive or it can be uh, descriptive. Prescriptive meaning it's very clear on what it's trying to tell us who we need to be and what we need to do and how we need to live. And and when it's prescriptive, and descriptive, meaning it's just kind of sharing with us what happened. This text leans a little heavy in the descriptive part, but I still believe there's things that we can learn. I want to show you four things before we go, very quickly. The first thing I want to see, and I want you to see in this, and he may have shown you something else in the Word, but I see that we need to be open to conversations. In relationship, as a family, we need to have conversations with one another. But these conversations sometimes need to be in private. Sometimes they need to be uh, more relational, more, uh, with more care. Um, not necessarily over the phone. <laughs> not necessarily, I'll talk to you later. Not necessarily a text, face to face. But it doesn't mean it's gonna blow up. It doesn't mean we're gonna not be family. The reality is the church just doesn't know how to do this well. But we're learning. And our commitment to you as the elders and pastors of South City Churches, we want to have conversations. We want to love well. We want to love deeply. We want to grow together. And we want to be humble. We, we pray that God would give us a humility to hear what you have to say when you have to say something. He would give that to you as well. And that you would have the guts and the strength to hold us accountable to anything that is preached from this pulpit. Okay? But let's have conversations not be afraid of them. Let's trust that God's going to grow us stronger together because of them, not without them. It took courage on Aquila and Priscilla's part to have those conversations. And it took humility on Apollos' part to learn and listen and grow. And it's going to take both of those things for us. Here's the second thing. Aquila and Priscilla, they support Apollos when he wants to go to Corinth. They send him out. And I couldn't help but get stuck in that little spot thinking about how hard it would be for a little church to send out such an important member of the church. But I just started thinking, no, Lord, I think you, I think we need to be asking the question more. God, where do you want me to go? I just challenge every one of us this morning. God, where would you send me? Have I even, have I even asked the question? Have I even had the courage to, to, to even mouth those words? Where, where would you send me? And then if the Lord sends one of us somewhere, uh, Jonathan, Susanna, Annie, Cody, 
other partners of ours who have gone places, then may we celebrate what God's doing. Not be worried about our number. Not be worried about, are we going to be okay? Are we going to have enough for that? I get caught up in those head games all the time. Instead, I want us to be aware of the mission God has for each of us and celebrate the mission for each other better. Can we do that? Would you help me with that? And may God send us out. May God use what he's doing in us and send us out for his glory and for his great commission. Here's the third thing. We have to be so careful not to elevate one ministry over another, one person over another. We have to be, that's why I loved uh, elder-led churches. I believe it is the scriptural precedent of the New Testament church. I, I don't see it any other way. I believe that is God's will for the, for the leadership of the church. Um, and one of the things I love about that is the su- submission to one another, the love for one another, the giftedness of many men instead of one. It's, it's beautiful. But we have to be careful not to, to put different people on different pedestals. I want to tell you a little story. When I was growing up at Temple in this church, God was, I was 17 and God was laying on my heart very strongly to go into ministry. And I mean, I wrestled, I struggled for a long time about God doing that. How could he use somebody like me? God, you know the mess I've made and the sin I've committed and all the wrong in my life. How in the world could you use me? And all the questions that I asked and went through the struggle and finally had to submit to the Lord's will. And I remember I got out of the pew and I came down here to this altar and I met with a pastor and I said, I think God's calling me into music and youth ministry. He goes, okay, praise with me. Kind of patted me on the back and I went back and sat down. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, great. It's official, I've done it, you know. Uh, maybe the next week, two weeks later, one of my friends in the youth group surrenders to the preaching ministry, which is a different situation back then. And so he comes down to the altar and the pastor says, great, prays with him and then holds him back to tell the whole church. So-and-so has surrendered to the preaching ministry. And you guys know what we do with people in preaching ministry. We are going to, I'm gonna spend a month with him in the summer and invest in him. He's gonna preach a message on a Sunday night and we're gonna give him a certificate of ministry. Right? And I'm back there going, I wanna be with you for a month. I wanna grow. And see, the sad reality is we begin to elevate different ministries over another. When the sad irony here is if there was, and I don't mean this arrogantly, please hear my heart. If there's one person, now knowing what we know, to have invested in, who is now leading this church, it might have been me. It might have been some of us that surrendered to youth and music ministry. But the problem is we elevate things and we put different people and different things that we think are more important above each other. Listen, Paul said, Apollos, he's building on the foundation that I've laid. That's exactly what we're doing today. We are building on the foundation that pastors and youth pastors and music ministers and education pastors have done for 83 years. None more important than the other. We have to be careful that we know we're all building on that foundation of Jesus. And then lastly, I'd say this. Listen, God used Apollos' gifts to prove Jesus through the scripture, he says. Today we call it apologetics. And as I thought about this, I couldn't help but think of this amazing man that we just lost 
maybe the greatest, one of the greatest apologists we've ever known, definitely in, in modern times, Ravi Zacharias. If you're unfamiliar with that name, I, I challenge you to write the name down, Ravi, R-A-V-I, Zacharias, and just YouTube, just go to YouTube, type that in, and listen to a few of his thoughts and a few of his debates. He would go into colleges like Princeton and Harvard and, and uh, all over the world and debate atheists and agnostics and scientists. And he was an amazing man, not unlike Apollos. Now listen, we don't all have that kind of a gifting, but God does expect all of us to know his word. And here's the sad reality, friends, of the, of the American Western church. We've got about this much depth in understanding God's word. We just don't know it enough. We've said, yeah, I know that I know enough about my salvation and enough about my church and I'll stop there. We'll let that guy up on the podium go to seminary. We'll let that guy up there learn about the Bible and then we'll just try and learn what we can over the next 60 years. No, God wants all of us to know the Bible. And I'm passionate this morning because I don't know how many countless friends of mine who had that surface level of understanding of Christianity have now fallen away from God. They fall, I was having a debate on Facebook. I, never, I don't do that very much. The only time I ever speak about something in Facebook is because I have a deep love for the person involved and I wanna speak truth. In, the, in scripture it's called contending for the faith. And I wanted to contend for their faith and I've been watching it unravel for a couple of years. And so I said something, and I was like, ah, you know, that feeling. I didn't want to get into something, and, and we started, and I tried to give truth, and I tried to give scripture, and I tried to speak. But the reality is, friends, is this. When, when our understanding of God's word is this deep, it's that much easier to fall away from it when the world comes at us with a pandemic. When the world comes at us with, with riots, and hard things to understand and difficulty, and our hearts wanna have compassion for everybody. But there is a way to live. There is a way to, to believe. There are things to trust, there are things to stand on in truth. And unless we have a depth of knowledge in scripture that we all are learning, all of us, we're becoming, that's what it says on our door, right? We're becoming authentic disciples. Don't stop at surface level. That's why we have our cohort. That's why we do our city groups. That's why we have first principles to help us go deeper so that we don't get tossed about to and fro like the waves in the sea, but that we have an anchor in something bigger than us, and that is the truth of the word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. God, thank you for this life of this character, Apollos. Such an interesting man and such an incredible blessing to the church. Lord, I don't know who you have in, in this building today or who's listening that might be the next Apollos, that might be the next Paul, that might be the next pastor of this church. God, I don't know. Lord, what do you want to do? I pray that all of us would be attentive to hear your voice, to be intentional about going deeper and deeper in our faith and trust of the word of God. 
God, to live by it, to understand it, and to be able to test what is right and wrong, what is true and what is false. God, that we might please you, Lord, to be a church that stands on the strength and the truth of your word and your word alone, not what culture would throw against us, but just to follow you, Lord, and just to love you with all that we are. God, give us good conversations together with compassion, with uh, courage, with humility. God, help us to celebrate those on mission and help us to ask the question, where would you send me? May May it even be a question right now on our hearts, Lord. Every person in here, every person watching, God, where would you send me to make you known? Would it be across the street? Would it be at work? Would it be around the world? God, would you burden my heart until I can't say anything but yes, I'll go. And Lord, may we celebrate them as you accomplish this great commission that we cannot do without you. Lord Jesus, you said to go and that you would be with us until the end of the age. Jesus, you are with us and you are empowering us with the Holy Spirit to be your witnesses here and there and everywhere. And God, may we have the courage to stand and contend for the faith, proving to this world you are who you say you are, that you are the Messiah of Scripture, that you are the one true God, and that this amazing Word of God written over 1,500 years and 40 auth- over 40 authors and 66 books, God, it is all that we need for life and godliness. May we stand on it, God, and live for it. Yes, lovingly share it. Yes, humbly uh, present it. But God, would you help us to have the courage to believe it? We love you, Lord. Do a work in our hearts now, I pray. In your precious name, amen.